0: Well, good morning, and we're glad you're here at Renaissance. Uh, my name is Rich. If you don't know me, um, then we need to get to know each other, right? Um, I'll tell you what, this is a great series, this winning. Uh, when I first saw it, I'm so glad Michael corrected me on this thing because I just thought, how cool, pound sign winning. <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe it's number sign winning. And now I'm cool. It's hashtag winning, huh? huh, huh, How many of you knew that was hashtag? I'm just curious. Oh, there's a few of you. Some of you being, some of you, yeah, all right. Um, listen, I, I want to begin with a prayer. Um, this is the 4th of July weekend, and uh, we, uh, I mean, it's just, I think we'd be uh, a little remiss if we didn't um, just take a moment to thank our Lord for the freedoms that we have and all those who uh, do what they do to keep us free. And so let me just pray and thank the Lord our God for, for our opportunities here. Lord God, we are grateful. We, 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 we take it for granted. We walked here, drove here this morning and walked in here and never giving a second thought about the fact that there are so many people all across this world that for political reasons, for economic reasons, for all kinds of other reasons, they don't have that freedom. And, uh, and, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to live in a free country. We thank you for those men and women who, flawed as they were, had the insight to be able to lay the foundations for this country so many years, over 230-some years ago. And that uh, we do pray for our president. We do pray for our Congress. Some of us like like what they're doing. Some of us don't like what they're doing. That doesn't really matter. We pray, God, that we would we would uh, hold them all up and that... that w- in some way, shape, or form that the Spirit of God would still be able to, to, to carry out the justice and, and, and the things that this country has stood for for so long through them. We thank you for that, and we continue to hold our country up to you, thanking you and praying for guidance as well for our future. And we continue to pray, God, bless America. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This this series winning really could be if you want to get a little more wordy, winning the way that Jesus says to win. Radically, we said that we saw that in the on the video. Radically defined success, and it really is. And uh, this is an amazing passage. It's called the Beatitudes, and and it, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivers. Uh, Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, six, and seven, Sermon on the Mount. This this section, the first section, the first part of it's called the Beatitudes. Eight beatitudes or nine, depending on how you want to count, and we're we're using it as eight because we have eight weeks. <laughs> how about that? And, uh, and and which is really the right thing to do, I think. And 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 it it's it's really was named. You know, where did the name beatitudes come from? It really started from the Latin Vulgate Bible when they started sectioning off just for clarity sections of the Bible. They put down a a, a Latin word, beatitudo, which in Latin means happiness. Because each one of these beatitudes is, blessed is he who does this, or she who does or or happy is he or she who does this. So that's what, that's what we're talking And the word is really translated happy, but um, that doesn't always translate real well in English. What does happy mean? Happy means, gee, I'm happy the Yankees won last night. Or I'm happy that, you know, it's not, it's going to be as hot today as it was maybe two days ago or whatever. But the, the, you kind of lose to all that. So really the word, and uh, one scholar put it this way, the word traditionally translated in English as blessed or happy, a more literal translation in contemporary English would be possessing an inward contentedness and joy that is not affected by circumstances. Let me say that again. It's possessing an inward contentedness or joy that is not affected by circumstances. And it's all about, Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. It's all about the attitude. Sermon on the Mount, among other things, I, I was having a discussion um, a few years ago, and I, I had the opportunity to talk with the uh, Elevate. That's our, our student ministry service that meets during this hour. And every now and then, they, they kind of reach the bottom of the barrel, and looking for the fourth or fifth stringer, they have me come in and speak, and, um, which is always fun. I did that last week, and I, we started the Sermon on the Mount like we did here. And I had the opportunity to point out to them, as I will you now, that um, a few years ago, I was one of my friends who's a rabbi, we were talking about the differences in our faith. And, and one of the things, I, I talked about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and how Jesus says it's about the attitude, it's about the heart. And I even quoted the passage later that comes in the Sermon, not in the Beatitudes, but in the Sermon on the Mount, I quoted the passage that says where Jesus says, if you lust, talking to men, he says, if you lust in your heart after a woman, um, um, you're, that's as guilty as, as committing the act, if you lust in your heart. And I quoted that verse to him, and he said, really? I said, yeah. And he said, well... In my faith, we don't care what you think or how much you lust, just don't do it. And I kind of thought, well, I kind of like that better. But, uh, <laughs> but, but obviously, that's not, that's not the right verse. I mean, the, 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 the point is the Lord gets to the heart. He really does. And that's in his, in his omniscience and omnipotence. And so on. He goes right to the heart, the the attitude. The, the attitudes that become, we call the Beatitudes. So let me just show you a, a couple of different translations. The first one is in the NIV. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is Matthew 5, 4. NIV is in, in, uh, the, the nearly infallible version. No, it's the New International Version. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let me show you a, a translation I like, a New Living Bible. puts it this way. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Interesting uh, You know, not much difference there. The message is a paraphrase that I like to read a lot. It does a little more, it amplifies it a little bit. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. I like that a lot, very descriptive. Early June, late May, we were dividing these up, figuring out as a team who was going to do what and which Beatitudes, you know, between me and Treth and and Clay, who's going to do which which through the summer. And I began to, and I I was looking at the ones that I'm going to do, the the different ones, and then then I I saw, I began to see pretty quickly, ooh, I'm going to end up with mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I've I've talked many times in the Sermon on the Mount, but not just on each Beatitude by itself. So I'm, I'm really thinking, okay, I'm going to have to I, I gotta try to figure out how to communicate this to people because, because it's an interesting wording, the, the word mourn. And i looked through many Bibles, many Bibles, and about seven or eight times out of ten, a Bible uses the word mourn. Interesting wording, isn't it? So I'm, I'm, I'm in deep prayer one, one Friday morning. Deep prayer. Deep, deep prayer. It was foggy and it was Rainy. I was in such a deep prayer, I, I really couldn't even see how far my ball was going off the tee. So, so, but, but I was in deep prayer. How am I going to communicate mourning to the folks and try to get them to understand what, what this is all about? And then, like an epiphany, it came to me. I remembered about a year and a half earlier, wintertime, here at Renaissance. Now, if you've never been here on a Sunday or a Saturday, and most of you have probably, when it's raining or it's a little chilly. What happens oftentimes is people line up, the, the, the patio's not down at Winbury's at that point, so people line up underneath the awning there, to kind of. usually the, the women and children line up there and wait for their husbands who are so chivalrous and courageous to go get the car and come around, and, and they're lined up down the steps, and they come in off the, off the awning, and they run out and don't get very wet while their husbands wait for them in the car right out front here. Well, this particular rainy, foggy morning, a guy that I know, I've seen him here many times and he and his wife and, and lovely people and he was standing with his daughter right underneath that awning. And I can't begin to tell you what got over me at that particular time. I don't think it was the spirit of God but it, it, it was, um, I, I said, hey, hey, how you doing? Yeah, hey, good, Rich. I said, good. Huh? I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm waiting on my wife to bring the car around. Now I've got a really Clean this up a little bit," um, I said. "Are you freaking kidding me? You're waiting here on your wife, and you're what you your daughter, she goes out against the car, and you. So you don't want to get one? Are you freaking kidding me? What kind of guy, what kind of guy are you?" And he was very gracious, and he said, "I'm blind." <laughs> I mourned. I deeply mourned, and he's—I I, I knew them. I—I I, never—I mean, he's very, very good, very discreet about his, his his disability, and I never really guessed that. He was on sunglasses a lot, but you know, a lot of people wear sunglasses. So. so anyway, we talked, and he was so gracious. And, and they're here. They're here. They're still here, and uh, <laughs> and I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> that is an example of mourning. <laughs> okay? Now, in a different sense, Jesus is talking about that mourning, only he's talking about it in a different regard. Not mourning over some idiot that puts his foot in his mouth, but he's talking about it in terms of mourning, word means deep sorrow and regret, over my broken condition. And all the effects that it has on my life and those around me. That I mourn, I grieve, I, I, I have that deep sorrow, that regret because I'm, I'm messed up. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I think this is best summarized by one of my heroes of the faith. I don't know, you ever had a mentor that you never met but you just read everything he wrote uh, for me, a, a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones in England, 60s, early 70s, I, I became connected with with his writings. Never met him personally. Um, just the, the year I started college uh, to go, to, started Bible college, to go back and start study for the ministry, and I just, I just absorbed, I just read everything I could by him. My, one of the most impacting books on my life was his book. It was called The Sermon on the Mount, and I have it on here, and, uh, and. I didn't read it on here back then, but it, it was, uh, it's a Sermon on the Mount, and I'll never forget the words in that book that, that just grabbed my heart was when he wrote, I, I, could, I remember it to this day, which is, the Christian life is not a matter of doing, it's a matter of being. And I've never forgotten that. And he and he goes through, and, and he explains this whole morning thing. Let me, just, let me just show you in his words what he says about this morning thing. As I confront God and his holiness and contemplate the life of, that I am meant to live. I see myself, my utter helplessness and hopelessness. I discover my quality of spirit, and immediately that makes me mourn. I must mourn about the fact that I am like that. For it is when a man sees himself in this unutterable hopelessness that the Holy Spirit reveals unto him the Lord Jesus Christ as his perfect satisfaction. Through the Spirit he sees that Christ has died for his sins and he is standing as his advocate in the presence of Almighty God. He sees in him the perfect provision that God has made and immediately he is comforted. I can't say it better. It's a great blessing when we mourn Realize, grieve, our woeful, broken condition, and all the negative effects that it has. I want to I want to kind of elucidate on that whole concept of mourning and and, and the comfort that comes. And I want to show you three pretty simple things. They kind of overlap a little bit, and um, so so work with me on this. But it, it's three very simple things. First one is this: we are blessed. When we mourn that we are broken. We are blessed when we, when we mourn or realize that we are broken. Granted, we live in a broken world. And many times I've said that. We live in a broken world. And I have to stop and remember, whoa, 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 wait. We live in a broken world, but I'm broken too. I'm part of that broken world. Kind got to go a step further? Another one of my literary heroes, G.K. Chesterton. English writer, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, not a theologian, part-time, but he wrote a lot of books, wrote a lot of plays, a um, m- lot of commentaries just on the Christian faith in general. G.K. Chesterton, great guy. And he was a, a renowned writer, of, of at least in England at the time, 1908. Uh, reportedly, the London Times put out a, a, a series of letters to in, privately to writers of the time Dickens, many, many others. And, and they wrote, and they just asked this. They said, they wrote to famous authors and, and writers. The question was, what is wrong with the world today? 1908. What is wrong with the world today? You want to see Chesterton's reply? It was in writing. We have it in writing. You ready for this? Here's what Chesterton wrote Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> That's all he wrote. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's true. What's wrong with the world? Me. My broken condition. You know, when you don't understand your brokenness, you become bitter. Because everything else, everything is somebody else's fault. You're a victim. When you don't understand your own brokenness, you become a fault finder. It's a blame game. When you don't understand your own brokenness, you can become arrogant, too. I'm not like those jack wagons over there, no, no. no. Uh, and and, and that's, that's, that's the point here. I mean, it, 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 it has to come with this whole thing of, I have to understand my own brokenness. I'll tell you what, it's so common I've been a pastor for 35 plus years. I lost track after 35. I know, yeah, I started when I was 12. And um, I remember vividly, one of the things I've had the privilege of doing over the years is, 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 is helping people. I'm not a therapist, and I always make that clear. If I meet with a couple or, or, or individual. I say, look, you know, let's, I'm happy to do whatever I can do, pray with you, talk with you direct you to some place, whatever. I'm not a therapist and if this is, is, is deep-seated stuff. We need, there, I believe in that kind of help and I can certainly lead you in that direction and help you with some other people. But if it's other stuff, oftentimes, particularly with relationships and with couples, oftentimes people just need somebody to kind of navigate them through some of, those, some of those rough spots of life. They need somebody to kind of, uh, you know, clarify the communication issues that may or may not be happening and, and maybe try to help each other see each other's point of view and then that's, that's kind of what I've, I've done over the years whenever I, in, in what we would call pastoral counseling. I shall never forget, no kidding, the first one, I was like 28, okay, now you could argue 28 year olds don't know nothing, but uh, I say that jokingly to my under 30 crowd friends, but um I, I vividly remember I was 28, and, and this was one of the first times I'd just taken this church, first church I pastored. And a lady came to me, she said, can I talk to you about my marriage? I said, sure, I'd be happy to help. I'll do what I can do to help, you know. At that point in time, you think you can help everybody. You think you know everything, you know. And um, she started telling about her husband and all the stuff going on in their marriage. And I was like, wow, what a dirt ball, you know. You know, my hair's on fire. I'm ready to go find this guy and just make, make him come to Jesus, baby. You know, whatever it's going to take. For once, wisdom got the better part of me even as a 28-year-old, and I thought maybe I should sit down with him too. So I sat down with him privately as well, and he started talking to me about her. Well, as you can imagine, my man, she must be a whatever. And um, then I was able this particular story has a good ending because I was able to get with both of them and try to help them. It was just some communication issues and some misunderstandings and some things that we've all had. I mean, have been married for 43 years, I think, and uh, 42 or 43 years. And, um, you know, we've, not everything, we've built just about every problem you can imagine. So I understand how that stuff happens, and you just got to kind of work your way through that. But here's the issue. So many times in relationships, whether in marriage or any other kind of relationship, it has to begin with each person. Begin by saying, "Okay, I'm broken. Let's start from there." Yeah, and, and so many times we don't. We don't start there. This is my second thing that I want you to see. That's going to help explain this whole thing of mourning and being comforted. First thing is you're you're, you're blessed when we mourn our brokenness. Second thing is we are blessed. This goes a step further. Almost repetitive, but not quite. When we realize that our nature is selfish, we're not just broken, but we're selfish. You know, and, and here's the thing: when people refuse to admit that and see that, they become stuck and they can't move forward. I mean, we, we you know, everything goes through the filter of, well, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. We don't often say that, but oftentimes we, we, that enters into our brain. Um, before long, one begins to live in this selfish little bubble, totally unaware of others, totally unaware and completely self-consumed. And you've known people to like that. Sometimes as you age, that becomes more of a thing. And I pray to God that does not for me or for you. Um, when, this, when this being stuck happens... Uh, we, we become unaware and unable to grow personally, let alone grow in our faith because we're all so consumed with ourselves. So we have to start there and say, okay, Lord, I'm mourning the fact that I am one selfish son of a gun or worse. Last fall, I had an amazing experience. We have several people in our church and have for a number of years, who are in the program. But the, and and I'm not, you don't know that because it's, it's anonymous. It's, it's called Alcoholics Anonymous or, or gambling, uh, Gamblers Anonymous, Addicts Anonymous. Um, and it's anonymous. And You may not know that, and that's fine. O- oftentimes I'm brought into the circle of confidentiality there just because I'm their pastor. But last fall I said to a friend of mine, I said, I want to go to a meeting. I've never been to one of those meetings. Uh, it's an AA meeting or addicts or alcoholics. And um, any kind of addict. And he said, Well, you got to come to an open meeting. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I, that's fine with me. He said, Okay, we got to find you an open meeting and we got to go somewhere else. You can do it around here. And I said, I don't care. And, you know, he was, he's, a, he's my good friend. He loves me and he's trying to protect me. And he said, Well, if you go into one around here, somebody's going to think that you're. I said, I don't care what they think. I'm going to think whatever they want to think. No, no, no. We're going to go three towns over, four towns over. It's kind of an interesting side note to the story. So we, we go four towns over. We walk in the meeting. I promise you within one minute somebody will walk, hey, Rich, how you doing? <laughs> 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 and, and my friend is like, oh. I, said, I don't care. <laughs> this was an amazing experience because before anybody opened their mouth about anything, here's the first thing they said. My name is John or whatever, Joe or Bill or Linda or whatever. My name is this, and I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict or I'm whatever their addiction was. Then they could talk. They're all in the same they're all in the same playing ground, same level field. They're all I just said, I love that. And the thought occurred to me. I haven't done this yet. But I might. Thought occurred to me. Why don't I? I'm I'm usually downstairs in the sidewalk, you know, most Sundays, you know, greeting people and shaking hands and kissing babes babies. And um <laughs> and um the thought occurred to me, what would happen? If every Sunday, even especially with, you wouldn't care, but especially somebody, a guest walks up and I just say, Hey, my name is Rich and I'm a self-centered, scum-sucking dirtball. What's your name? <laughs> it's true. In case you didn't know that, my wife, you can see her later and talk to her about it. <laughs> um, we all are. That sounds harsh, but we all are. We have to begin to operate. You know, if we're going to understand this verse of mourning and being comforted, I haven't got to the comforting part yet. If we're going to understand this passage, just one short verse, we've got to understand that. I am broken. I'm one selfish dirtball. I am. That's mourning, my, my, my sinful condition. That brings me to this third realization of this understanding, this mourning, and this comforting. Yeah, I'm broken, and I live in a broken world. I'm selfish. I mourn the fact that I'm selfish. But now, the third part is, I, 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 I no longer mourn. I have great relief that when I get through with all that self-justification and all that stuff, that I can cast my soul at the feet of Jesus for his grace and for his forgiveness. And I'm comforted because Jesus always says, come on, I love you. I loved you when you were still a sinner. And I'm always going to love you. That's comfort. That's great comfort. Don't have to worry about praying in a certain way acting this way and not that way, and if I have this particular natural tendency of, 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 of badness here or there, I just come to Christ. I, I don't want to show you just one passage in the Bible um, from the book of uh, Colossians. It's chapter 2. And it, just, it just, just, just explains it all to me. I just love this passage. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Rather than from Christ. You were dead. Because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature. Was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Watch this. I love this. For he forgave. All our sins. How many of your sins were future tense. When you came to know Christ. If you've done that. All of them. Forgave all my sins. And I go to God when I sin and I say, Lord, forgive me. That's okay. I don't have to say that. What the Bible teaches is we confess our sins. That means to agree with God. Lord, I've, I've screwed up again. I need your help. Please, please help me. I know you've forgiven me, but help me to do better. And then he canceled out the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Yes, we are blessed when we realize that we're broken and we mourn that fact yes we are blessed when we mourn the fact that that we're self-centered and selfish but we are we are blessed we are comforted we no longer mourn when we realize that our relief our hope comes from casting our souls in total reliance upon Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness. Have you done that? You say, well, I go to church. That's not what I've asked. I read the Bible. That's not what I've asked either. Have you ever come to that point where you say, Lord, I'm I'm, I'm guilty. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I'm selfish. I need your help. I want to just trust you right now by casting my soul at the feet of you, of your grace and your forgiveness. I want to trust you for that. And you know what? He'll welcome you. You say, well, I'm not sure if I've done that. We'll do it again. He's not keeping, you know, he, he's okay with that. I can assure you. We are comforted when we no longer, and we no longer mourn when we realize that our relief our hope is to literally cast our souls in total reliance upon Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness. I never get tired of talking about that. Two people I'm going to give you examples of who understood this mourning and this comfort. The first one comes from history and it's the 4th of July weekend so you've got, you got to let me do this. okay? Those of you who know me know that I love history and, and so forth and so yeah, we got to do we got to do one of our founding fathers at least for the Fourth of July weekend. He understood this. George Washington, president, general George Washington understood that. Understood this 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 mourning and this comfort that comes in trusting Christ. Let me tell you. You read a lot of stuff about George and some of the other founding fathers, and some of it's not correct. And one of the things that I had, I've done a couple of years ago, I just started reading. Uh, you get a copy of it. George Washington's prayer journal. Great reading. Um, and it's in Old English, but it's just amazing. Here's one of his prayers that I want you to see that's just amazing. Listen to this. I humbly beseech thee to be, my, to be merciful to me in the free pardon of my sins for the sake of thy dear Son, my only Savior, Jesus Christ, who came not to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Be pleased to renew my nature, And write thy laws upon my heart and help me to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this evil world. Make me humble. It's a great prayer. Make me humble, meek, patient, and contented, and work in me the grace of thy Holy Spirit. President Washington understood mourning and being comforted by Jesus. The Apostle Paul is the other one that I want to introduce, just mention as an example of this kind of mourning and, 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 and comfort. The Apostle Paul wrote over half the New Testament in, in volume wise. Not books wise but in volume. Over half the New Testament. Um, the Apostle Paul was just a great man in many ways, and yet when you read, I don't, I, I, when you read, like in 1 Timothy chapter one, watch this. This is, this is amazing. Here is a trustworthy statement. Excuse me. Here is, a, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Watch this. Of whom I am chief or the worst. I often carry on a dialogue with the Bible when I read it. It's kind of silly, I know, but I do that sometimes. And many times i said, who made you the worst? I think I'm the worst. No? And, and, you know, and, and he goes on and says, for this very reason I was shown mercy, though so that in time the worst of sinners, and me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Say, so why would Paul, the Apostle Paul, say he was the worst of sinners? And, Rich, do you really believe that way? I, I, I pretty much do. One of the, One of the values of age, and there are a few, not many, but there are a few, is that you begin to understand a little more, a little more about who Christ is and who God is and who you are, and you may get the behavior part down pretty well. Some of the things that maybe you used to struggle with, you don't, and that that, that varies at times. But more than that, you see, you you get to understand your own heart, and you get to understand how wayward you can be. Without God's grace, without the the, the, the Jesus. Drawing me and continuing to draw me back to Himself. That's why you you're, you can understand. You know, we think of the worst of sinners. We think of some, some you know, serial killer or something. Well, certainly that, that is. But but it it goes to the thought life. And that's what the apostle Paul was talking about. That's what I think about. Is Lord, you, you saved me. I'm pretty much a scum sucking dirt ball without your grace. Blessed are those who mourn, realize, deeply regret their broken, sinful, selfish condition. For their relief, comfort will be in the reliance upon Jesus and his grace. That will will bring blessing. A blessing that, in another person's words, possesses And inward contentedness and joy that is not affected by circumstances. May God, the Holy Spirit, make that real in your life and in mine. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness that I so desperately need, as do my friends here. Lord, we just cast ourselves at the feet, at the foot of the cross for your grace and for your forgiveness. And we thank you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending part of your 4th of July weekend with us and have a great rest of the weekend and God bless you. God bless America.